If I let go of this hymnal, it's going to fall on the ground. You can't see them from there, but there are a couple of light switches on the reverse side of this wall here. If I flip one, light goes off, light goes on. We live in a world where many of the things that have clear causes and clear effects. But it's not always true, is it? We can't always find a clear cause for every effect. We see, for example, two lifelong smokers. One gets affected health-wise, lung cancer, whatever it might be by that. And then the other one lives healthily into their 80s, 90s. Same cause, different effects. We drive down the Southern State Parkway and two cars fly past us doing 85 miles an hour, somehow avoiding every pothole. One gets pulled over, one doesn't. Same cause, different effect. Why? And we as humans naturally want to find a cause for these paradoxical outcomes. In our gospel reading, Jesus' disciples suggest a solution to this problem. They think that they have figured out how to understand the causes and the effects of everything that we see in life. But Jesus shows them that their vision is actually obscured. They're looking at the world through mud. Jesus gives them, Jesus gives us, in this reading this morning, sight. Let's find what we can see through the mud. As this story unfolds, Jesus is back in Jerusalem with his disciples, walking through the capital city of the Jews. And as they walk through the streets, Jesus and the disciples encounter this blind man begging in one of the streets. Seems like they were maybe on the south side of the city. That's where this pool of Siloam was located. So either they sent this blind man eventually wandering across half the city, or maybe they were already fairly close to that. The disciples ask Jesus a question when they see this blind man, which again reveals their own blindness. Verse 2, Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples think that they see what's going on. They think that they have cause and effect worked out. All they want from Jesus is a little clarity. They're pretty sure they see this situation clearly, correctly. But maybe what they want from Jesus is, metaphorically speaking, reading glasses. Something that's just going to sharpen their vision a little bit, offer them that extra bit of clarity, because to them, the truth seems obvious. Suffering, hardship, such as this man is, exp is experiencing, must be the result of sin. So they ask for a clarification. Who's sin, Jesus? Is this man a warning for future generations? Are we supposed to look at him and say, now, don't go sinning as this man's parents did, or you'll watch your children suffer like he is? That's one possibility that they've come up with. The other possibility, he's a warning to us in the present. This man 
was punished for the sins he was going to commit. That's why he was born this way. So if you haven't been punished this way, you better keep right on not sinning. The disciples need more than reading glasses. If that's what they come up with. They are blind. And Jesus shows them that they have been looking at the world. If this is their worldview, they've been looking at the world with mud-smeared blind eyes. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples do understand this one thing correctly. Suffering, difficulty, hardship in life is in fact caused by sin. But their problem, the mud that's clouding their vision is this. They don't truly understand sin. You see, they think primarily of sin as an action issue. They define sin very narrowly as to do what God forbids and to neglect what God commands. And they want to trace this man's suffering, therefore, to a particular sin. And they assume that this, again, is going to allow them to understand every cause, every effect. They assume that they could figure out then why one smoker is affected by that habit and another isn't. God must be punishing that person. They assume that they can understand why one car gets pulled over and the other not. God must be punishing that person. This view is not entirely incorrect, but it's dangerously incomplete. Because sin is not primarily, first and foremost, an action issue. It's an attitude issue, a heart issue. It's an issue not regarding what we do, but why. I want to take you into our text from Isaiah, which makes this clear. Verse 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. God looked at his Old Testament people, worshiping him, praising him, carrying out the correct actions. But he looked past those things into their hearts and saw sin. He saw this attitude problem, an attitude with which we are born, not an attitude that we can choose to change, not an attitude that we choose to adopt. This root sin, which lives in every person's heart, is an inborn, from birth, inclination away from God. It's a hereditary distancing from the Creator. God sees through us. He sees past both our outwardly worshipful actions and past our rebellious transgressions, and he sees in every heart an inborn, eternally deadly separation from him. In your bulletins, if you turn to the next page uh, after where the sermon title is, I have a little graphic that sort of lays out these two views of suffering, what the disciples thought first, what Jesus and the Bible teach us to be the truth. The disciples thought in the first way, this kind of linear relationship, sinful actions lead to suffering. But the Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us that the truth is more complicated than that. Suffering, sinful actions, both come from the same sin root, both arise from the same common problem. The sin with which we are born, the sin that has affected this world ever since Adam and Eve. 
And as Jesus explains it, suffering and sin can feedback on one another. When our inborn's natural sin causes us to sin, we cause suffering. When inborn natural sin causes suffering in this world, it often causes people to sin. These things feed back on one another. How can we possibly hope to, to reason out with the disciples cause and effect? Well, the truth is so much more complicated than that. When we have this second picture there, that correct understanding of sin and suffering, we see the foolishness of the disciples' question. We don't see suffering and wonder, what did that person do to deserve that punishment? No. We see suffering and wonder why we have been allowed to escape. When we ourselves do suffer, this correct understanding of sin and suffering's relationship leads us to admit that we really shouldn't expect anything different. Why would we? We have offended the holy God in so many of our actions. We are born terminally opposed to him. The question is not, why should I suffer? It's why would I not? Sin causes suffering. We are sinners. When we correctly understand sin, the assumption should not be, as the disciples had it, that we can avoid suffering by avoiding sin. The, quest, the assumption that we should have, the cause and effect of something that we should take into the world, would be that the other shoe is just going to drop for us at any moment. We are sinners. We ought to suffer. But Jesus tells the disciples, don't think so simplistically either. Even that is too simple an outlook for us to take into the world. So Jesus is going to clear the mud from their eyes, our eyes. He's going to show them that there's more going on still as he interacts with this blind man. Now, at this point in the conversation, I, I wonder, what had the blind man heard, listened to so far? Did he hear the question that the disciples had asked about him? If he did, I'm sure he probably didn't pay it much attention. I'm sure he was fairly used to people talking about him, hearing them. Maybe he heard parents pointing him out whispering to their kids, now, you better behave or look how God might punish you. Maybe he had heard other rabbis in their wanderings around Jerusalem point him out and pontificate on why he deserved this suffering. I'm sure he was pretty well able to tune out all that blather by now. I'm also sure that he had never heard anything like what Jesus said to the disciples. Verse 3 again. Neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus, but this happens that the works of God might be displayed in him. Take care to note something important there. Jesus says the works of God will be displayed. Not one miracle, miracles, plural, two, to be precise. One miracle, one work of God is going to deal with this man's physical ailment. The other greater miracle is going to deal with the man's heart with that inborn distancing from God. The first miracle, at least the first one that we see, Jesus intentionally chooses to perform this healing miracle in a way that's going to defy the disciples' cause-effect worldview. He starts the miracle off by doing something that the man cannot even perceive. Right? He spits, he makes some mud. The man has no idea that this is even happening. 
Then he walks over. He smears mud all over this man's eyes in order to give him sight. And lastly, he sends the man away, not even yet healed. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. But everything Jesus does here has exactly the effect he intends. The man will go and he will wash. And this work of God will be displayed in his life. He will see. And that is an incredible miracle. But the more incredible miracle here has already taken place when this man stands up to go. He believes in the promise that has been spoken to him. He believes that the mud smeared all over his unseeing eyes is going to do something. This man has been given faith. You see, there was another cause and effect here, invisibly taking place. It's the invisible cause and effect that takes place right now, takes place wherever God's word is proclaimed to sinners. The Apostle Paul explains that cause and effect this way in our second reading. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. It's the cause and effect of the preached word, the gospel message. This man's faith did not come from his healing. We miss the true cause if we look at it this way. The man's faith preceded that healing. It was invisibly caused by Jesus' word. If you look at the world in the way the disciples did, if you look at the world and constantly seek exterior causes that are going to explain every effect that you see in the world, see Jesus smearing mud on your eyes this morning. Jesus is showing you how bound your human perspective is. He's highlighting for all of us how fundamentally limited our understanding of the world is. What Jesus does this morning is condemns our own overestimation of our own intelligence. The Apostle Paul does so gently but firmly in our second reading. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Friends, we're called to humility this morning in these texts. Each one of us as Christians recognizes that the gospel implicitly calls us to humility. Right? The gospel is the message that proclaims there is a Savior for you who could not save yourselves. That message is humbling. But see in the text that we're considering this morning, a call to humility outside of simply that narrow issue of our salvation. See in our text this morning, a call to humility, not just as it pertains to salvation, but humility in every aspect of our lives. Humility that recognizes our limitations. Humility that shows itself by by listening more than speaking, humility that doesn't seek to invent causes for every effect, right? Do you see now the mud which the sinful nature seeks to smear over our eyes? It's this mud of arrogant pride, presumed wisdom, this mud that results in our overestimation of our own intelligence and underestimation of the gifts of others, mud that leads us to assume we can do everyone else's job better, leads us to assume that we can see into the hidden mind of God as we look out into the world. That's a dangerous assumption. And so here, as we gather around his word in worship, 
God acts to cure us of those blind assumptions. Here, as we gather, Jesus still acts through tangible means in a way beyond our understanding to give us sight, right? If you have recognized this morning the limitations of your worldview, if you find yourself convicted by Jesus' refutation of your cause-effect way of thinking, take comfort in these promises. Here are causes and effects, not visible to the world, but revealed to us by Jesus. Here, in the waters of baptism, God washes away that sin mud from your eyes and shows you that he's not a God who's bound by causes and effects. The sin which we are all born with, which rightly ought to cause our condemnation, instead led God to send us a Savior. Your baptism is your adoption into his family. Here, in this meal, God hands over on your sinner's lips the body and blood of Jesus hidden from the world in bread and wine for your forgiveness. And by all rights, it should be deeply offensive to the holy God that we sinners would approach his altar, participate in such a holy thing, but our God is not bound by cause and effect. Our God instead says, come, take, eat, and drink. To the world, all these promises are mud. As Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. This is a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. These promises of God announced in his word, tangibly granted in the sacraments, communicate to us a cause and effect of which we can be certain. Take comfort in those sure promises, friends. In these things which are mud to the world, God gives you sight. Take comfort in these sure promises and go back out into that world. That world which seems so often so confusing, so arbitrary. That world which tests over and over each and every day our ability to reason things out, our ability to plan, our ability to find logical reasons for everything that happens to us in that world. Hold on to these promises. Go back out into that world. Speak with humility. Recognize your own limitations. Get rid of that attitude that the disciples came into that conversation with, that attitude that thinks that we can find a cause and effect for everything. Speak humbly. Cling to these promises. Appreciate this difference between you and the blind man. After he'd been healed, people wanted to know, well, where is this Jesus who did this to you? Right? Verse 12, what does he say? I don't know. Here's the difference between you and the blind man. You do know. He's here. For you. Amen.